bad. Has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Um, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, today we have Coach Cates. Um, he is the former head coach at several local schools, but most recently Vindelia Butler, um, and has made the poor life choice of becoming an administrator <laughs> recently. Uh, coach, how you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks. No, no Appreciate problem. you having me on. No problem. Um, just, I mean, I mean, obviously you're an administrator now for a variety of reasons, family and just it's your home and all that stuff. And there's a lot that kind of went in that decision. Um, but ha- I mean, kind of talk us through quickly, kind of your um, background, kind of your coaching path and most recently up to Vandalia Butler. Um, kind of what, I mean, what, how do you kind of end up where you are today? Okay. Uh, so I played and uh, went to Arcanum High School, which I'm now the current high school principal of. And uh, my high school coach, Jason Schondelmeyer, was a head coach at Versailles. He left the year after I graduated. I went and played a year of college football at Georgetown College and then transferred back to Wright State. And he uh, called me up. He said, hey, man, I heard you're not playing anymore. Come coach with me. And at the time, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to get into it. What I mean, it was the greatest decision I ever made. And it became a calling. I always loved the game. And, you know, football, I can never give what football is given to me. And so I helped him coach it for sales. Um, and then after, uh, you know, he moved on from there, they went their separate ways. I then helped uh, Jason Steffen, who I'm actually currently replacing as principal as he's going to Brookville. I went and helped him at Arcana, my alma mater. And then I actually uh, coached at Greenville for a year during my master's year. And uh, I'm really to Aaron Schaefer. And so I, I learned it from two triple option guys. Um, and some single wing stuff to then the spread, you know, there in Schaefer, odd front guys to then an even front. So I got to see a lot of different things. Was an assistant there. I coached freshmen at Versailles, coached JV at Arcanum, was varsity assistant, you know, small schools, you got to do a lot of things, running backs, linebackers. I coached every position as I, you know, well, when I became head coach, I had to coach even more, but uh, I got my first teaching job at Twin Valley South. Their head coach got riffed. So um, I was 24 years old and the AD comes out and said, why don't you throw your name in the hat? I know you're coaching Greenville and you're tired of that 45 minute drive. And, uh, you know, I'm single at the time. I was like, you know, they're not going to take me serious. Next thing I know, I'm a head coach at 24 years old, June 5th, I think it was. And I learned a lot. Um, So I was head coach there for three years, really proud of what we did there. Had some great players, met some great people over there. They were so good to me over there at Twin Valley South. And then uh, we were fortunate enough to upset Covington, who was the, you know, league champs many years, you know, there in the CCC, the old CCC now, I guess. And um, uh, they offered me a job at Covington and I walked into a gold mine in a football town and, uh, you know, went 10 and 0 right away. Um, Not because I'm some great coach, you know, I learned pretty quickly, Jimmy's and Joe's beat X's and O's any day and, had a lot of Jimmies and Joes there, and and uh, it was a football town. So I was there for five years, 
And then I got an opportunity to coach Vandalia Butler, my oldest daughter, uh, you know, goes to Vandalia Butler. So that was the biggest uh, reason to go there. It was hard to leave Covington. And then uh, my hometown calls me up and, uh, you know, with this, I had got my administrative license because I don't do well with boredom uh, during COVID. Um, you know, I had some extra time on my hands, so I went and got my administrative license, had no idea I would use it this soon. And uh, the principal opening came up and Jason Stephan reached out to me and the superintendent, John Stevens, uh, you, you interested in interviewing? I thought, why not go in there and interview? And next thing you know, it got pretty serious, really tough to leave Vandalia as we thought we were really turning the corner there, uh, really trying to build something special there. And then here we are now. I'm uh, like you said, uh, going into, you know, the dark side of administration uh, coaching in a different way, but excited for the opportunity to be back home. Um, you know, I've, I've been a Trojan at heart, but, you know, met a lot of great people along the way. Tough decision, but, you know, excited to, to uh, you know, learn from other people and, and, and do a new thing. Well, I mean, you kind of mentioned you started turning around Butler. And I, I, I and we've had this talk, and I know you weren't always happy with the record while you were there. But, I mean, you and I, I've said this before to you and to other people. I mean, you seem to get the most out of your kids. Like, and, and that's that's a kind of a commonality. Um, like I said, you you had some success at Twin Valley, Covington. Obviously, you had really good players, but again, you still got a lot of kids out, got most out of your situation. And then when you look at, at Butler, I mean, you're playing close games against some of the best teams in the league. Yes, you didn't get get always the result you wanted, but I mean, you're playing close games. You're upsetting some teams here or there. Um, how do you, like from when you're approaching it? How do you approach getting the most out of your kids? I, I know obviously there's some scheme aspects in that. There's individual coaching, but from from a perspective of a coach looking to get the most out of the kids, how do you think you are able to get that out of them? Well, I appreciate all the kind words. I, I would say the first thing is you got to build authentic relationships with them. I'm all about relationships. So everybody says that. But what are you doing to go build those relationships? So for me, it's beyond football. You're going to their other events. You're getting to know them. And so uh, something I always tell my assistant coaches and I always would do is what do you want out of life? What is your, you know, what do you want? What do you want out of football? And trying to explain to them that we can help them and whatever that is, you know. And, and so that was big. Um, and we always told our, you know, our coaches and players, doesn't matter how much you know, if they don't know you care. So I think you build that foundation of trust and you, and you start to spend a lot of time together. I think it's huge to do an overnight camp and, and team bond, which really helps you uh, get the most out of your players. Um, you know, the best think of the best bosses you've had, the best coaches you've had. You want to run through a wall for them. You don't want to let them down. So I, I, mean, I play, you know, I think that's extremely important. So something I think that makes me unique that I didn't really think was unique until now as I'm getting older in this coach for 15 years, I do summer gatherings and I get together with all my former players as much as I can. So I, re I still reach out to my twin by South kids when I was a moron, first time head coach, making all those mistakes in the world at 24. And I still get together one time a year with all, you know, Covington kids, South kids. And I think that shows them genuinely, I care about them for life. And so the longer I'm out of place, Vandalia kids are already like, coach, are you still going to do those things? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to. And, and I think when they see that you're truly invested in them, they're willing to give more to you. Um, and then we just try to have a culture of next play mentality. It's okay to fail. And, you know, when kids play scared, I think that they're not going to give you the most out of themselves because they're worried of getting benched and things like that. 
So, you know, next play mentality. And then also, I think you just, it's exhausting whatever you demand. You can't demand everything. You can't fix everything. You can't do everything you want to do. But we always demanded effort. You know, attitude and effort were my big two things. But, man, it's exhausting from your staff. You have to demand it if you want it. You know, if you want that to be your culture, it has to be demanded. And it, and it can't just come from the head coach. It's got to come from all the assistants. So you have to set those expectations and the standard of we're going to sprint everywhere. We're going to go hard all the time or we're going to redo it till you go hard all the time. So, you know, I've always been a big effort guy and I got that from my coaches. And I think that's really helped um, get the most out of kids. But I mean, if you just show them that you believe in them, um, I think, you know, having those side sidebar conversations I'm big on is letting them know how much I believe in them. I really do think, I mean, that's the ultimate compliment you can get from somebody, how hard your kids play. And then your, your kids coming back and saying, coach, you know, I believe you believed in me. And that meant so much to me, made me play harder for you. I want to play for you. You know, it, it really kind of broke me down as I'm telling the Vandalia kids, which is the worst conversation ever to tell those kids you're leaving them when they're, you know, you've poured so much into them and they've poured so much into you. And they're like, coach, we don't want to play for anybody else. And you don't want to hear that. Um, you know, you appreciate that. But like, I played hard for you, coach. And it's like, no, you need to play because you love the game. But I think when you build that relationship with the kid, um, sky's the limit, especially if you have the talent. If you have the talent and they're going to play that hard, you're, you know, that's a recipe for success, especially when, if you're hardest players or your hardest workers, which is what I had at Covington. And, uh, you you know, it kind of went hand in hand. So, no, you're, you're right, and, and I know part of what the next question, the answer is going to be the relationship piece. But you've also done a really good job getting kids out. I think there's one year you broke like 50 at Covington, which for people who aren't from Ohio will know. I mean, a D6 in our state breaking fit, breaking 40 consistently is a good number. Breaking 50 is doing pretty darn good. And then Butler, who's at what? Butler, are you guys D2 or D3? I can't remember what Butler. D3, but about to be D2. I mean, it's really close. So a borderline D2 school, essentially. He, you're, you're, I mean, nine through 12, you had over 100 kids last year. My understanding is correct. I mean, you get kids, yes. um, just in general. So, how do you think? I mean, obviously, part of it is focus on relationships, and we've had this conversation before off screen. Um, but on top of the relationship aspect, how are you getting so many kids out? How, what is your kind of focus, especially in the off season? Um, what are you doing to approach kids? How are you getting them out so you can obviously increase your numbers, especially when you're looking at, say, small school ball, so you can have a competitive roster or a butler where you're playing, okay, now we're playing freshman, JV, and varsity every year, no problem. We might even be able to do like a JVB team. Yeah, absolutely. So I was not great at this at first, to be honest with you. And I'll tell you a, a story of what not to do first. It'll kind of go into it. So um, the biggest reason why I think that I'm fortunate enough to get the numbers out um, is my flexibility. Now it's a double-edged sword and I'll get into explaining that. And I think that some coaches are going to be yelling at me through the screen on some of the things, but it's worked for me. And, and you got to be true to yourself, but I'll give you a quick story, Nathan Bly, and he would, if he was to listen to this, he would, he would laugh at it. My first quarterback at Covington, very nervous, coming in to replace a legend in Dave Miller. They ran a triple option. Love Dave. I'm not Dave, though. I can't be Dave. I wanted her to come in and bring the spread. He didn't show up until the end of July. Didn't see him all of June. Played so much baseball. Man, I was, you know, cussing him up a storm. The coach was like, is this – this is supposed to be our quarterback. He's a, you know, two, three year starting quarterback. I haven't even seen him. 
and just being, you know, very frustrated. And he comes out, and I was, I was really hard on him. And I almost lost him. I, he almost quit on us. And um, he stuck it out, thankfully. He threw 28 touchdowns of five interceptions. So that that lesson taught me, do we – I mean, I know all football coaches are going to want to yell at me. Do we, do we really have to have that kid all of June and all of July? So what I ended up doing, Nathan taught me that lesson, and some other kids have as well. He's not the only one, is be flexible. So I can give you numerous stories, but one of the biggest things I do is I tell them, it's okay if you're competing, but I need to know where you're at. June, you you got to talk to your other coaches and you got to share June. As much as that sucks for, you know, football coaches, especially, you know, I, I hated it at first. I didn't want to share June, you know, and, and you have to, especially at small schools. And you can't make kids choose. You have to find a way to not make them choose. So I would be a little, my coaches tell me I'm a little too nice in June to the other sports, but it really benefited me because I'm getting the best basketball kids and the best baseball kids that other people aren't getting because I became okay with football not being number one to them. You know, at first that was really hard for me because football has always been number one to me, right? And then I'm coaching. It's it, it's okay if it's not number one. They can still contribute. And at small schools and even at Vandalia, believe it or not, we needed kids to play multiple sports. So I think you just got to be flexible now. Like I said, it's a double-edged sword because you can be taken advantage of. Although say they're at baseball, but they really slept in. You have to build that trust them and you have to have some accountability and find out where they're at. I'd have them send me pictures. Jensen Wagner at Covington, Casey Bennett at Vandalia Butler, Mitchell Thomas, I can list you numerous guys. They're sending me pictures of tournaments they're going to and are they're at currently. I'm in Georgia, you know, and they're letting me know where they are. So at least I knew, you know, where they were. So I think that flexibility piece is rare. And, you know, I think you got to promote multiple sports in the offseason. When it's baseball, I don't ask a baseball kid to lift with me for football. He's in baseball. And basketball, he's not mining. And that's hard for a lot of coaches. You know, some want to lift year-round a certain time and control that. If your district allows that, a lot of times the coach wants them for their sport. And you have to be okay with that. And I am because they're competing. Yeah, I want them in the weight room. Don't get me wrong if they're not doing anything else. But you can't replace comp competition is the best thing to be. So I think that is one of the things. But you know, some of the other things I think every new head coach should do. The very first time you meet in a building is you tell your administrators, I need every boy. And if any girl is interested, I need every single boy, not just if they're interested in football. I need all. Of them. And, and you and you talk to. Them. And I think you have to get out in front of what are the reasons why kids have quit? Well, over the years, I've learned the reasons. Well, coach, I got to work. I got a job. Uh, you, you do too much stuff in the summer. Um, you know, uh, you know, I go on vacation and all, all these other excuses that come up. So I tell them, that, that, that doesn't fly. Your jobs, they'll work with you. We practice for two hours. We'll be efficient and get you out of there, let you have a life. We're going to go in the mornings so you can still go do your job. I'll, I'm not going to punish you if you go on vacation. Just please don't do it during two-a-days. So I get out in front of that with parents. Um, so I think you just got to get out in front of what, what are the, some of the reasons why, you know, they quit. And, uh, you know, someone will say, well, it costs too much. Well, there's fundraisers and other things to do that. We will work with you on that. Um, well, I'm, I'm a, I don't want to get hurt for another sport. Well, you can get hurt crossing the street. So I think you just got to try to present that to the kids and what they can get out of football. Um, and you got to tell them how important football is and all the life lessons you can learn in football. And Friday Night Lights, there's nothing like it. And you, you try to really sell it to all of them and then you tell them. 
We're going to celebrate your successes. They all love social media. We're going to be on Twitter. We're going to be on Instagram. We're going to be, everybody's going to be showing, you know, seeing you and they love the spotlight type stuff. Um, and then I, you know, you got to make it fun. That's another way I think I've got numbers. Uh, word gets out, you know, we're going to have music in practice. We're going to do competitions. We're going to let Lyman do seven on seven. We call it fat man seven on seven or big man seven on seven. We're going to let guys have fun. Now we're going to get work done, um, but you earn that rope. You know, I'll give you more rope the more you earn. Um, but, you know, something that coaches definitely are going to be, be mad at me. But first time I became a head coach, I ran off a bunch of kids like an idiot, did some dumb stuff, um, thought I had to scream, wasn't myself. Um, I let kids come out later than I should. Uh, now they have to go through the acclimation, you know, they're behind the ball. But if you're really trying to start a program that doesn't have numbers, you'll take them wherever you can get them. Now you need to be fair to your team. So you bring in your team leaders, you talk to them, you know, they got to go through their acclimation. When's it fair to start bringing them in? Um, you know, but I've done some of that too, which I know a lot of people would be against. But if you want to build numbers, power in numbers, I firmly believe in that. Now, what also comes with that, some guys that, you know, probably just want to wear a jersey. So, yeah, I understand that. They're just bodies. But you know what? How many of my guys are going to go to the NFL? I have yet to coach. I'm here to teach them life lessons to the greatest game God gave. And so I, I want every number I can get. But a lot of guys aren't like that. Well, we got to pay for more equipment. You know, I, honestly, I get that opposite thing, believe it or not. I get administrators saying, do we have enough equipment? Do we really need all these guys? I've had that at numerous districts. Like, yes, we need every kid we can get. But, yes, some kids do come now. With more kids come more issues by, you know, all numbers, right? Average numbers you're going to have. You have more kids, you're going to have more issues, more parents to deal with. But I'm a firm believer in big numbers and very proud that we were able to do that. But you got to pick your poison, right? you got to figure out your non-negotiables and what you'll allow with your flexibility piece. And some guys are, and that's okay. That's, that's your style. But if you're wanting to know my honest, you know, how I'm able to do that. And then obviously you got to be in the building. And I, I know coaches that don't get in the building. I think it's detrimental to them. I think you got to be, because then you can recruit the hallways. You can see them in a different light. You've got to try to get teachers in the building on your staff. Gosh, that's so hard to get anymore. And, you know, nobody wants to be, a, you know, how hard is it to get coaches that are teachers anymore? And they get to see the kids in a different light. They get to know more about them and their home life. They get to see them in the classroom. And then, heck, they can help put out some fires for the head coach and help recruit some more as well because uh, every kid connects with different coaches. But I think you definitely got to recruit the hallways, be in the building. And then the other thing is you got to get to know the district. So what do I mean by that? Vandalia Butler is big baseball. Right. Boys baseball is awesome. there. So my first year, Mondays in the morning, I might as well not even had Monday lifting because 70 percent of my kids at that time, they got less than that's probably 50 percent. 70 percent of my kids were playing baseball or, something, or basketball and they were in tournaments on weekends and they I'd never see them. So I had to make an adjustment. Well, when they have these long weekends, they usually get back Monday, but they get back Monday morning or late Sunday night. So how about have a Monday evening? So then I had Monday evening, all of a sudden I had great numbers on Monday evening. So you got to figure out your district. I gave off Friday. So I went Monday night and then Tuesday through Thursday mornings for that district. It worked out. Fridays is ghost town. Couldn't get kids there. Well, instead of complaining about it, which I did at first, well, let's find a solution. Well, the solution was go in between those windows and then we got all the numbers. And we, we, we were able to get, um, you know, quality of work in. 
I'll never forget one of my first Fridays at Vandalia. I'm like, how am I going to put a team out there? You know, I think I had like 32 kids there. And it's like, you know, we thought we were supposed to have the first year seven. You ended up having 90. And like you said, we got over 100. I think this year there would have been 117. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't talked to Zach, the guy that replaced me. But we kept building those numbers. But, you know, the scheduling, how you schedule, I think, is very important as well. And only practicing for two hours. Let them have a life. Al Hedrick taught me that because my high school coach, we practice four hours a night and I, you only know what you know. And um, so then he told me, he's like, you can't get it done at two times. You're not doing a very good job. And he won six state titles. So I thought he might know something. So, uh, you know, I think that being efficient with your practice, which is much easier said than done helps with everyone as well. Sorry. I know a little long winded, but <laughs> you're a good coach. Good. I, I'm with you 100% on that. Like, I haven't gone on a Friday in years. Um, there's, I mean, I, a lot of it just because it's small school baseball. And it, it's really, it's because I've, since I've been at a small school this year and the past two years, like, I mean, I have seven through 12 all live together. Well, they're all there. Like, I split a middle school, does speed and agility while high school lives, right. and all that. And I mean, middle school too like they you have so much baseball going on like you just kind of figure out how to work around it um and and to your point be flexible like if i have a baseball kid who's going to a tournament in louisville or south carolina they're leaving thursday morning kind of got to understand there's not gonna be there thursday morning like yeah, it, and i think that goes in like some of the seven on sevens you go to how frustrated do we get some of our stars aren't there guys underwear football doesn't count it's hard to tell ourselves that right <laughs> but like you yeah. know that like you know, that that's a legit thing. And when you brought up uh, junior high, that made me think of something. Something I started to get better at, at as my career went on was, and I, I still wasn't quite there, is involving your youth in your junior high more. And so we started to let the, the uh, peewee practice with our high school kids. Like we had a day at Vandalia, like our midnight hit day made it an event the whole day. Pee-wee junior high practice. And then we had midnight hit and invited them all back. I think that helps with number two excuse me, because they get to see you. And so we encouraged, we gave our kids points um, to go down there, you know, our, our draft team, you know, our accountability groups to go work with the younger kids and then have the junior high coaches come to your camp days and their players and, and learn some of your stuff. So I think that helps with numbers too. It's not as, uh, you know, scary, I guess, to come up because they already starting to build that relationship. Because I think a lot of kids are scared, like they don't know what to expect. When you bring them up a couple of times, it doesn't have to be a ton. Well, okay, he's not as scary as I thought. Oh, it's not as hard as I thought. Well, you know, it just kind of relieves some of that anxiety. So I meant to say that part too. When you said that, it reminded me of that. Okay. I get it, coach. No, I mean, my next thing is, I mean, and we've shared some stuff back and forth and we've talked a little about this topic already, but kind of leadership development. Um, I know you spent a lot of time on that and have in the past. I have as well. I've done leadership councils. Um, what I'm doing now is I'm kind of just having a meeting every day, like the first 10 minutes before we even go to lifting and warming up, I'm going over something. Um, I like, I've been going over our core values recently before I even get into the leadership, but I kind of try that as that core value translate to leadership. Um, talking a lot about positive environment and energy this week, actually, uh, we talked about accountability a lot this last week. Um, and I was talking about how with accountability, if you're holding other people accountable, you're not always liked. The unfortunate part of, of being here is you're not always the most liked person in the room is what it is. Yeah. Um, but 
I mean, kind of what is your process and how is your process for leadership development um, talked? Because we talked about him, kid, we both know before he on and how good of a leader he is. Um, but how have you developed leadership? How has it evolved as you kind of gone? Um, what is your kind of process? I know you have a big presentation that you've shared with me that I've kind of looked at and kind of stolen some small thing pieces here and there from. Um, but how do you kind of approach leadership development? I think it's awesome you're doing that, Nick. That's great stuff because I'm huge, huge on it, as you know. Um, so I think that is uh, something that a lot of kids think that they you're either born a leader and you're not. And I can't think that's that's for I mean, that's the farthest thing from the truth there is. I think it definitely can be taught. So we invite all of our kids to start and we have these things called leadership summits and we get them together and we talk some different topics and in season every Tuesday. Now you got to get your staff to buy into this. Some of my coaches over the years have not always been on, man, we're missing 15 minutes of practice time coach. At the end of the day, we're not, you know, the new England Patriots. We're not, you know, the Kansas city chiefs. So, um, you know, you got to make time. And so I did it every Tuesday. If you're passionate about it, you got to make time for it. So we had different leadership topics and I'm willing to share that, those topics with anybody. Um, and then in the summer, that Monday night, like I was talking about what worked at Vandalia is we had some military guys come in and do resilience training and how to handle adversity, which is one of our big topics, because I don't think people uh, cope well. Um, in some ways, maybe they cope better because of COVID. Uh, some kids are learning some of those coping skills, but in a lot of ways, I feel like kids don't handle adversity the same way. Um, and so we're trying to teach kids how to handle themselves. So we did that a lot. But to answer your question, some leadership stuff, we have our kids vote on a leadership council. And we have anywhere from two to four or five kids per grade, and that's player picked. And then we meet monthly with them. And then we would, um, you know, we do our summer draft team leaders and what we have them do. The kids vote on those as well, and whoever gets the most votes gets to pick first. And we make it like an NFL draft. We give a jersey. We get the music going, um, you know. And the first overall pick in the 2023 Vandalia Butler draft is, you know, and that leader picks, um, you know, and what, what you're looking for, what are the guys that show up every day? What are the guys that work hard every day? Our core values, what we're about. And you you get the kids to think that way. And that's part of your culture. How do they act? How do they think? And you, and you do that through those groups, accountability groups. And it's the older guy's job to give rides to younger kids. Obviously if parents approve that, I know some parents don't want their kids picked up by certain kids, but it's your job to get them there. You know, it's your job to get them there to um, within that. So we have different competitions in those groups. And then I think you have to do an overnight camp and you have to do some military training if you can Bring the military in because they come in with a fresh perspective and they will tell you at the end, they give awards usually to who are the best leaders of the day. And sometimes it shocks you, put them in a pressure situation. These kids handle the leadership the best. And sometimes it's not even the kids you would, you know, your kids voted for because sometimes it turns into a popularity contest. So for us to get rid of that popularity thing, to be an, a captain, I stole this and I steal a lot of things from other coaches over the years. Um, you have to choose to interview to be a captain. So I don't know how many guys have been like, we want to name you a captain. You're like, coach, I don't want that responsibility. Right. Um, I'm just a vote. I'm not a vocal guy. I'm just quiet leader. So we actually make them interview like a job interview. They dress up and we have questions set out for them. So we make them interview. And then the coaches select from those, um, those guys. Um, so we do that. And then like in our leadership teams, 
you know, we do winner loser stuff. So like the winner, I stole this from Urban Meyer, winners get steaks, you know, losers get hot dogs and stuff like that with different competitions. So we do all kinds of competitions, uh, but we give every kid the opportunity at these leadership summits. And then every Tuesday it's from me or from some of the other coaches. And then what I wanted to get to, because I think the best teams I've coached are player led. I wanted to get to where the players lead those conversations. We are getting ready to get there at Vandalia. I was getting some kids comfortable enough to get up in front of everybody. And, uh, you know, that's a lot. You know, it takes a lot of guts to get up in front of your teammates and then teach them different topics and things and, and be vulnerable. And so, you know, I think once you get to be where your kids are leading things. So I know this is probably going to be weird to say, and a lot of coaches probably don't trust this, but what we were going to do this year, and we did it at Covington, I've seen it work but it can backfire is a few minutes of practice. The kids get to choose what we're doing in practice and it gives them ownership. The kids get to decide what plays run a few times. They get to decide what drills we're running. You make them and I, and they get to, and I do a lot of player ownership things. They get to choose the motto of the year. They get to choose some different things. Uh, I, I let the seniors choose a lot of things. So I think that helps build some leadership too, by empowering them to have some choice on some things. And then I'm huge into servant leadership. And so we try to do, I needed to do a better job of that. Um, we are going to do a lot better job this year of doing more things in the community. Um, and I think anytime you can do that. And now that I'm coming to Arcanum, they do this thing called Serve Arcanum, where the whole high school goes out and does different projects for the community. I, I'm huge into that. So I love that they're doing that. And I, and I did some of that as a coach, definitely helping in tornado relief and different things like that. But, um, you know, getting them out, doing that, doing things in the community. Um, but one thing that I think that the kids have given me feedback on, and I know I'm going all over here, that's kind of sorry, I'm passionate about some of this stuff, is every year I have the seniors give an exit slip of, I can't punish them anymore, so I want them to be completely honest. <laughs> and, you know, for things like what was the best conditioning, were the best drills, worst drills, how was each coach? And then asking about the leadership stuff. And it would surprise you that, you know, certain things they would say. But one thing that I didn't know that would take, and I can share the screen if you want me to, I print off a daily to-do thing for leaders, uh, 10 things, and they have to hang it in the locker. And a lot of kids said that was a great daily reminder. And some of those topics are like, be the hardest practice worker today. Be a spark of energy. Connect with a teammate today. Challenge a teammate today. You know, remind them of our core values, represent your school and us, you know, in the best manner, you know, next play mentality, exemplify that. And it's hanging in their locker and they have to look at it. Also on there, there's five uh, signs of toxic leadership, but don't do, don't be gossiping, don't be pouting, don't be giving poor body language. Then when you're head down, the other team gets stronger. Um, don't, you know, have that martyr complex, oh, woe is me, or blame others. And, and so those are listed for them. And so they got to look themselves in the mirror kind of thing. That's what my kind of ideal was. And over the years, the kids have said, you know, that really was a good daily reminder for us having that hung in the locker. Um, so that's something that's been successful for me. And and I'm honestly huge on life lessons um, that we teach anyways. And, you know, and I think as the head coach and your coaches in general, I think you and then a lot of guys aren't comfortable doing this, but I am. I'm fine with telling them I've made a lot of mistakes and I continue to. And so we teach them about, this is how you're supposed to treat a woman. This is how you're supposed to act. This is how we, we teach them how to tie a tie. We teach them how to jumpstart a car. We teach them how to change a tire. And we just teach them 
core values in life and we use that within our leadership time. So sometimes we won't pick a leadership topic. Today, it's everybody learns how to tie them. Today, everybody jump starts a car because you know, today everybody learns how to change a tire. So I'm huge on that too because I think what a platform to use as a head football coach. Now, where's it, where do you fit that time in, right? That's what everybody would tell me. Ty, there's no way you're practicing two hours and getting that in. Well, you got to pick your time. So what do I do? I usually do that a lot in the summer where I have more time with them, you know, um, you know, or, or two a days. And so if you're looking for a time to fill that type of stuff in, it's kind of not those windows. But yeah, um, huge on, on leadership. Uh, I love it that I'm coming into a district. They teach that in school. I, I brought in, I told them I'm huge on leadership. I want to do stuff. They told me we already we already have a teacher that teaches that, which I think is awesome that our kingdom's doing that. And so I'm excited, you know, um, that, that, that they're already doing that, but huge proponent of it. Have different people come in and speak so you're not hearing from the same person. Love bringing in guest speakers, former players. Um, you know, it's nice to have Taylor Decker, the NW Butler. When he comes in the room, everybody listens. So then when you got Taylor coming in, I think everybody's like, oh, okay, our coaches actually are, you know, knowing what they're talking about. This guy plays for the Detroit Lions. So we might want to listen. So I think that can be powerful too with all your leadership stuff as well. Yeah, good coach. Like and like I said to you to, to that point. Like one thing I forget who I stole this from. Oh, I that's just I think I think it was a college coach, but um. So I mean, they talked about posting stuff in a locker room every week, just the, just like random questions. Um, just for quick conversation with kids. Um, another one, and kind of to you just talking with kids, and it's more bonding, but it's also leadership too, is just how's your week going on Thursdays? Have them stand up and do some stuff. Um, and some various other things. And if if anybody's not listening and watching the video version, as, as I'm kind of talking right now, Coach is pulling up his one to be a leader kind of daily to do document, um, which, I mean, you can literally just take a screenshot of and use or reach out to Coach, and Coach is um, – Tour will be in the bio and you can kind of um, get a copy of it from him. Um, but to kind of coach's point, like to being a leader, there's a lot that goes into it. And especially for coaches who take over a new program, usually there's a leadership void. Unfortunately, is that always true? No, but, um, or if you just got a really young roster, that's the other fact. Like, I mean, you, you know, I mean, you were at Covington when you're talking small school football, you might graduate 10 seniors one year. <laughs> And then, then you have half 50, 50 to sixty percent roster to be freshmen sophomores. Um, that's kind of why I'm look. I mean, I'm having early probably low thirties this year, and I'm looking at, I mean, almost ten of them being freshmen. So, absolutely been there. My second year at Covington, and then we started to get the numbers really up. Yeah, I lost sixteen seniors, and then we started seven sophomores that next year. We had a senior class of six. So then we, 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 like you said, and we got the numbers back up towards 50. Um, but the, you know, that one year was tougher, you know, a lot of more freshmen, like you're saying, who ended up going to the regional finals. So, you know, we started to build those things uh, from that. So, but and I can continue with that. I mean, you talked leadership and leadership. Actually, I want to, I want to ask you this question about leadership real quick and captains and captain voting. Obviously, they have to interview, but how do you handle that vote? Is it everybody's in the same room? Is it, do you have each kid separately come to your room and form a line immediately? Do you have them all sit in locker and call one in at a time? How do you approach that vote? Because that's always an interesting thing. Cause you, cause you mentioned the politics of it and the popularity vote. Cause there's always a popularity vote with leadership. 
and and captains. And then my next question is with that, how many of your captains are all of them um player voted, or do you have like two or three that are uh, player voted and like one that's a coach vote? And then you just don't tell them who's who. Yeah, so uh, we've done it so many different ways over the years. I think when you have them all in there together, they're going to vote for the guy that sits next to them if you don't spread them out. I think that's uh, you know thing. We've had them vote by grades because I, I do per-grade meetings sometimes. And I thought that worked pretty good. But then, once again, they're voting for mainly guys in their grade. So I think bringing them in individually, which was very difficult at Vandalia. So to be honest with you, I tried to do it, and it was – forever so going into this year we were thinking about a different way but I, I felt like my first year so my second year we did it individually my first year we did all right beside each other and we felt like it was a huge popularity contest so I don't know to answer your question if there is a great um way to that but what what I what I always thought was interesting was there's always there's not an exact number but there's always let's say there's two guys that get more votes than everybody else four guys that get it more than everybody else or six guys or whatever. So I think a lot of us get stuck and it has to be four captains or it has to be two or it has to be certain guys in grades. I think the longer I did it and if I was to get back into it, I don't care on the number. Um, I really don't. If it's three, if it's odd, whatever. I mean, I, I remember when to, to your other question, I mean, I was on staffs and we did this too. Coaches select three or excuse me, the players select three and the coaches pick the fourth or we have three full-time and a motor player every week. There's a new guy that shows his work ethic. I know coaches, and we've done things like that. But if I was to go back, I think I would make, make everybody vote individually because I think you get the most genuine response that way, even though I think it would be worth the time. Um, but we we thought, you know, with 100 kids, it did become pretty taxing. So we were that was heavily debated, you know, having those many numbers at Vendelia. Um, but I think that – you know, whoever, so like, I'll, I'll tell you like example, Twin Valley South. One year we had three guys get way more votes than everybody else early in my career. And we, we were stuck on, and I was stuck on because my high school, when I played, you always had four. That fourth guy was our worst leader. Why was I so stuck on four? Why didn't we just roll with those three? That other guy wasn't even that great of a leader, right? So I think sometimes we get stuck and, and you ask yourself, why? Is, is there a good reason behind that? And um, so if I was to go back, whoever, you know, they'd have to interview still because I think that's so powerful. And then, um, you know, the coaches, to answer, I mean, we had a lot of say in that. Sometimes the kids vote for a kid that we just don't feel comfortable. And that's that's the tough crossroads. What do you want to do? You Whatever you decide to do, as you know, well aware, head coach, you better be able to defend it. You better be able to back it up. And um, we had a kid that, the kids loved at Vandalia one of my years there and um, us coaches just didn't feel comfortable because of some of his actions and some of his dirty play and, and things like that. But a lot of kids flocked to him. So we just told the kids like the, he doesn't meet these standards. He doesn't meet our core values. And we told that to the kid, not that and we told him, if you start acting this way, you can earn it back. Cause one thing an old coach always taught me was your senior year kids change so much. If you really pay attention to that, they really do. They grow up so much, and you. I don't. I don't think we can be stuck. And this kid was that, that idiot freshman or that immature sophomore. He's going to change a lot, and let every year be a new year. I guess is what I'm saying. 
And so we gave that kid an opportunity and he didn't take um, to be better. Instead, he pouted. So you could lose a kid that way. But we we didn't feel like we, you know, we felt like that for the program itself, you want to talk about program developing, that kid does not fit the core values. We can't do that just because. And, and like I said, I, I do listen to the players a lot, but sometimes I use the head coach card and like, no, you know, we don't this is the time we're going to disagree guys. And I use that as a life lesson to them. guys. I'm not going to agree with you sometimes, right? Your boss isn't going to agree with you. Sometimes they're going to hear you out. And then whenever the decision's made, you're gonna to have to suck it up and do it. Cause if you just whine about it, it's wasted energy. Let's move on, you know, next play mentality. And you, you tie it into your core values. I hope that answered your question, but there's so many different routes as you know, to do it. I don't know if there's a perfect one, but I guess my thing is just be able to defend it. Um, because you are going to have parent complaints sometimes. You are going to have player complaints. You might have players turn on each other. So you need to have the pulse of your team and, and understand the ramifications of those decisions because some kids it matters a lot to them. And some kids could care less. So I think you that gets back to the building the relationships, feeling out your team, and having those authentic, honest conversations. One of our core values is honesty. And, we, and how we define that, steal it from Brian Kite, who I listen to, tell the truth no matter what. Tell the truth no matter what. And like you said earlier, you know, when you and I have talked, sometimes the truth isn't easy to tell someone. You know, it's hard to take it. Some people can't handle the truth. Um, but I think you have to be honest with them or you lose so much credibility. Perfect. Now, I mean, you, you've mentioned a, a little bit as we've kind of gone the team bonding aspect. And there's a lot of ways. Is there anything you kind of want to hit on that we've not talked about? Because there's a lot of ways you can take team bonding. Like, I mean – I'm I'm like instead of doing some football extra drills at the end of stuff this Thursday, I mean I'm on break them in groups and they're all gonna do a puzzle together, and they're either gonna love it or they're gonna hate it. I've I've learned over the, doing that for the past several years. Some good their groups are really good together. Some it just turns into a dumpster fire. And it's hilarious, um. But you see yeah. who works. But you see who works well together, and it helps develop that rapport. Um. You can also see who's never put a puzzle together in their life because they start don't do the border first, but it's a whole nother conversation. So yeah. like my, first, my first year at Northwestern, I just broke them up in the classics. I got hired so late instead of doing individual teams and our seat, our seniors could not put together a puzzle to save their life. It was, that's hilarious. It is. Yeah. So, but like for you, I mean, how else, I mean, obviously there's a lot that you've mentioned about team bonding. Is there anything we've kind of not hit on that or something else you want or something within there you want to hit on a little harder um, how you approach that bonding, because especially like, I mean, there's that double-edged sword when you're at a small school, you don't have a lot of kids. You got, you need to create a great atmosphere that next man up, everybody's together atmosphere. Whereas at the big school and you have 116 kids, that's hard to be, have a friendship and a relationship with a hundred plus other different people and to know everybody well and, develop those relationships. So it's kind of that double-edged sword. Yeah, I really want numbers, but you lose kind of some things there as well. Absolutely. That was the hardest. The coaches were like, coach, there's no way you can build these relationships like you have before. I try to high-five and talk to every kid before every practice. It became nearly impossible. Um, so, yeah, you bring that up. But some of the things we did, we, we like to do dodgeball sometimes. We like to do kickball. Seniors, we let them choose what to do for fun that week. Um, last year they chose to tackle their, or their moms to tackle them. Uh, we let the moms tackle them on senior night. It was hilarious. We got the bags out, but let the mom suit up. Um, so we, I've done paintball if we can afford it. You know, sometimes it depends on the funds of your, of your program. 
um, you know, bonfires, cookouts, relay races for competition. What a great way to get conditioning because of competition, agility competitions. Some of my favorites are like lineman punt returns or celebrity kicker lineman makes his field goal. We have less conditioning. Um, just trying to do and, you know, uh, pick these guys. Uh, whoever wins, this group has to run. This group doesn't or whatever. doesn't have. This group gets to eat first or whatever. Tug of war competitions, bowling. Um, you know, we've done so many different things. Um, but I think probably the one that I, I couldn't believe how awesome it was took Covington to Ludlow Falls. We were a young team. Um, we started off 0-3, played three juggernauts, won seven straight, made it in the playoffs. Thought I was going to get fired because, you know, you don't lose in Covington. Uh, at that time, we were rolling, and and uh, we we lost three to, you know, St. Henry, Minster, Fort Laramie, which are not weak opponents. But I think <laughs> what those guys said, what really helped keep them together through that, you know, gauntlet to start was our summer overnight camp. So we went to Lodo Falls, and on a whim, one of our coaches just said something to me, and, and it hit me. And they're like, you know what would be cool? We sit around a bonfire, and we just tell our favorite football stories. And I'm like, you know what? Let's see how it goes. So I went around and asked everybody their favorite football memory. And guys were getting emotional. Guys were crying. We learned so many things about guys that we never knew. And all of them said, Coach, that overnight camp bonded us so much, just having those authentic conversations. So which led us to then later, we make seniors at the overnight camp be friends or like sit down with freshmen or sit down with sophomores and have conversations um, and then, you know, I make the position groups have position meetings and get to know them and I give them certain questions, but I don't want to micromanage them. So I say, coaches, you get to know them in your own way. My expectation is you, if you have them over to your house, you meet them out to eat, whatever it is, you're going to figure it out and build those, those bonds in your position. And I think those things go a long way because adversity is going to hit. Think of what, you know, I always tell the kids, if someone comes in and after your family, you're going to defend your family. You're not going to think twice we need to be able to do that for each other. When you trust each other and you love each other, you're going to fight that much harder. So I think that people, I I think underestimate the power of loving your teammate. And I think that's the most powerful emotion there is, is love. So that we try to build, that's why I'm so big on team bonding. And, um, we, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a relationship with Matt Light, who has the chin with trails um, outside of Greenville. And so I bring my teams there every year and we go fishing, we swim, we walk the trails, and they put us through hard obstacles. And once again, they have to work together. So anytime you can put them in pressure situations, it's so hard to simulate practice, especially if you don't have a good scout team. And especially if you – I mean, we both know this goes on. Varsity guys are telling younger guys, if you make it hard on me, I'll make it hard on you after practice. And you hate – you just know those type of things happen. But we all both know iron sharpens iron. And the, you know, the best practices are when guys are competing. And sometimes that's not easy to do and to put kids in horrible situations, um, you know, for the bonding. So I think the more you can bond, the better. Can't say it enough. Even if you can't afford it. I know guys are like, well, I can't afford to go to an overnight camp somewhere. We were lucky. There's a military camp that I had a coach on staff, Justin Ward, Sergeant Ward was able to get us Camp Sherman. But you can just do an overnight at the school. I think that's what Eaton still does. Brad Davis, I think, still does that. So there's cheaper ways to go do those type of things. Um, and, ha and have, you know, and we do a music trivia. The kids love that, you know, competitions and, you know, anything you can do to just make football more fun, uh, talent shows. I mean, more stuff just coming to me. We do so many different things. 
Um, you know, and every year you got to kind of feel out your team. And, and I always ask the seniors, like, what kind of fun stuff you guys want to do? Because we all want to get better and just grind. But we all know sometimes you need to mix it up with something fun. Even if you in practice with the ultimate football or whatever it is, we've played volleyball with the field goal posts. I mean, we've, we've done about, I don't know, I'm sure we're missing plenty of other fun things, but trying to mix it up and make time for it, which is uh, an argument in the coaching office, but that's where I just, you know, I've always overruled and said, this is what we're going to do. Okay. Now I, I know one other topic you wanted to talk about and is, is and I kind of also just, it's interesting to see everybody's perspective on it is kind of parent player engagement and kind of how you reach out to parents, communicate with parents and, uh, and players throughout the year. Um, like I said, there is no perfect app or perfect way. And some districts have some rules on what you can and can't do. And some just, I mean, like I leaving Northwestern, they were pretty much putting putting every classroom and coach on the same app. Um, that way it's just universal. So there isn't 18 apps, which I get. Um, kind of what is your kind of approach to talking, communicating with parents and so forth? Yeah, so Parent Square at Vandalia was really good to us. Um, I know, and then everybody went through that. I've used Remind before. I think that this is, once again, this is going to be different on every head coach. So I do give out my phone number. I know a lot of guys are against that. And I, I just set parameters and boundaries with my parents. Do parents always follow that? No, you know that. But I say, don't contact me after a certain time, you know, unless it's an emergency. So, you know, I have time with my family. So I set the standard and the parent. It's great your first year, because everybody wants to meet the new coach. But as it goes on, what I realized, the new freshmen coming up, their parents don't come as much and, and get – so you, you kind of rely on your your uh, team parents, and I've been fortunate enough to have team moms that help communicate. So I do a lot of things through them. Hey, will you – and they set up emails in different groups. And we usually had a couple parents per grade that would communicate, whether it be meals or practice change. But, yeah, we would get it out on Parent Square – but we, we'd get it out on Facebook. We get it out on Twitter. There should be no excuses for communication. And instead, I probably annoy them with over-communication. But I think you have to set your boundaries with the parents, what you expect of them. Like, I tell them, I'm not going to talk to you about playing time. And we're not going to talk about other kids. And you're not going to talk to me during a game, right after a game, right before a game. We're going to set up a meeting. We're not going to do it when the emotions are involved. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a good conversation. A level-headed conversation, that doesn't always happen. Once again, I've had parents come after me every place I've been. But you try to set those boundaries and set those with them and communicate. And I think I get a lot of buy-in from parents because I let them get a hold of me. I uh, We do life lessons, and we celebrate it on social media and show it. And I think that they realize that we genuinely do care about their kids. Um, we do have you know parent get-togethers. We're getting ready to do a mom's and dad's camp of Vandalia. I mean, new head coaches can't do everything they want to do all at once. you got to slowly build things in. But I think we were getting a lot of buy-in because we were educating our parents on recruiting, which seemed to be a big deal at Vandalia, more so than a, Van, than a Twin Valley or Covington, and to educate them on some of those things. But I, I use my team parents. I use Parent Square. Um, and then we we had a football page on you know Facebook and Twitter and when things came up, communicate through those realms. And, um, then you know, we obviously talked to our senior leaders about, you know, every accountability group, drafting group, you're responsible to get your guy 
guys to practice. So you, they all created their group Snapchats and, and all those things that communicate with each other to make sure communication isn't uh, mixed up. Time to time it does happen with weather and, and things that come up. But overall, had a lot of success communication-wise and uh, having parent engagement. Um, I'm, I try to be very approachable. Once again, double-edged sword. Do I get calls sometimes at 9 or 10 p.m.? Yes. And you have to be willing to not take those calls and say it'll wait till tomorrow unless, you know, it's an emergency. So, um, you know, those type of things, you know, do happen when you are as flexible and approachable as I am. You create yourself some headaches that you might not have um, if you weren't so approachable. Oh, I get it. There's a, there is no perfect answer to that, unfortunately. So, no. um, and I, I've had those Sunday phone calls with parents and, um i've also had the the angry parent after a game it's like it is what it is so um so i'm trying to fight me you know i had about everything so. <laughs> i've not had well let me think about that for a second no i'm not having try to fight me i've had i've had to separate administrators and parents but that's that's a whole different thing yeah. uh, i mean i mean two last questions for you is, is obviously and and part of this i know this is because um, I have one of your former assistants on my staff. Um, you're, you've evolved, I mean, scheme-wise over the years. And and part of that is, as, as you, I mean, heck, you started when you were 24. I mean, and you're, I mean, and you also under, uh, and you also as a coach understand your personnel. Like, I mean, you took over Covington that had been a triple option school for, God, I don't even know how long Dave Miller was there, but he, I mean, just historically, that was a triple. I mean, you took over um, Butler, and they'd kind of gone through a transition of offense as well um, through a couple of different coordinators and a couple of coaches in a short period of time. I mean, kind of how have you evolved schematically over the years um, offensively? Um, and you can get into defense too if you want. I mean, and kind of what has kind of caused those changes and kind of your perception and your um, belief system? So I'm not a system guy, um, which, which, you know, I think some people think, I, you know, I shouldn't coach them maybe, but um, maybe if I was a college coach or an NFL coach, I would be because I could recruit those kids. So I think it was Mount Union's coach that I stole this from, but I think the three P's players plan and then the practice of the plan. So I got to know my personnel first. I've been fortunate enough to coach in enough, you know, I was triple wing T spread, not saying I'm an expert of any of them, but I've been exposed to them. Uh, defensively ran about every defense, except for the three, three stack. Didn't do a whole lot done a little bit, but we've literally ran everything else. So um, my philosophy has always been you, your kids dictate that. Now, how do you build a program doing that? I understand that. So there are, are a few run plays and pass plays that I will run, no matter the kids I have. So I guess, is that a system guy? I don't think so. But my formations and, and motions, I window dress things based on my personnel. So let's say I love to play power. I do. But you can run power without even pulling somebody, right? We need down, down, kick with a fullback. So uh, depending on like, I was at twin. I tried this at twin by South. I didn't know what I was doing. I'll be honest. New head coach had spread kids my first year. The next year we had huge offensive line, huge backs. 
well, we're slow. We can't run the spread. So I lined up, believe it or not, in the full wishbone backfield and smashed it. We called it the same play. We just did a different formation, and it worked for me. So now building your youth programs, um, you know, in, in junior high makes it more difficult doing it my way. So I just show them, if you have these kids, this is what we do. These are the formations, but you're going to run power and counter inside, outside zone. And these, based on the personnel you have, this is what you got. You're going to run smash because that is my favorite pass play and all my tags. I have so many tags off that play. That is the safe ball, Coach Cates. <laughs> I'm going to, I mean, no one can, can, you know, we have our things, right? I love smash. So, like, you know, everybody has their things that make them who they are, but I'm going to tweak to the kids that I have. So formational emotions and things on offense and same with defense, right? I mean, if we don't have four down linemen, we're going to go to an on front, you know, if, so it's, it, it kind of dictates that um, how do you get your best 11 guys on the field? And so it's annoying for my coaches. Uh, my, I'll be the first to tell you, they are annoyed coaching for me sometimes for that because you got to learn new stuff all the time. Um, but I'm big on evolving because if you're not evolving, you're going to get beat by somebody that does. So I'm, I'm huge into that. And I'm always going to clinics and I suggest that to people and learn. But I think, you know, you have to base things on your players. But the counter to that is older coaches have a tough time with that because they're setting their ways. So some older assistants will struggle if you're like me, that they're like, this is the only way. And it is more difficult with the peewee and junior high programs. My experience, peewee doesn't want to do what you want to do anyways. Even though I, I tried and gave so much effort to that, they're going to do what they know anyways because you're not with them every day. And they're going to fall back to what they learned when they played. But I think that if you give them the, you know, the parameters, like these are the core plays you can do, I want you to run these plays, but figure out the formations based on your personnel. And if you do do that, call it what we call it. So you can build it from the ground up. You know, if you're tight wing formation called red, call it red. Don't call it tight wing spread or, you know, some other name. And then I have to reteach that. And I happened to be at Covington. We had motion. We called Roger and Louie. They had the same motion in junior high. They called it tick and tack. So I'm fighting with my junior high coach, and I love him. Love Lee Donnie. But just call it what I'm going to call it. Now I have new teaching to do in high school I shouldn't have to do. So I think if you can build those things, but scheme-wise, you know, I, I've always ad adapted to my kids. But I'll tell you this, less is more. And that's one of my advices to the young coaches. Get really good at what you're doing because here's the thing. you got to learn how to block anything anybody throws at you. How can you do that if you're running 50 different plays? You have to know how to adjust. So if you take away my smash concept, I have all kinds of tags with different guys. I can run smash to one side and tag the whole backside, different things. So those are the geniuses in coaching is here's a concept, but we can tweak it. And just one guy's different. It looks like a complete different play, right? Make it easy for the big guys up front. They're blocking it the same. And maybe the quarterback's just different. You're going to run counter, tag quarterback. Now the running back's faking and your quarterback's keeping. I mean, I'm giving you very basic things, but I think but, that's the genius in coaching is is to keep it simple, but the appearance of the illusion of being complicated. Because you're not going to out-coach the other coaches in a good conference. I learned that in NBL. you got to try to get your kids to outperform their kids, out-execute their kids. Their coaches know what they're doing, but they have the same knuckleheads you have. So how can you make it look different for their knuckleheads um, to where, you know, you can get an advantage by be, still being simple? Um, because 
how are you? I just don't know how coaches, I know my first time calling plays, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be vulnerable, admit it. We didn't know what to adjust because we didn't know what we were doing. And we didn't run it enough to see what people were going to do to us. That's why, you know, if you do run something enough, you figure out what people's answers are and you learn to, that's why I learned you shut down smash here, are my options off. Right. And so, you know, you shut down that, well, we're going to tag a, we called it a shake route, but tag, we're going to sell the corner and be back up, you know, the field. You know, are going to play us man instead of running a hitch. We're going to run square in. Um, you know, we can run, we can tag the whole backside. We can do double post on the backside. We call it Dino. So there's all kinds of different things with that same contest. I can say smash right, Dino left is your concept. I know some guys are, you know, not route tree and all that stuff, but the linemen know it's a pass. Play. It doesn't matter. And it's only different for one or two guys. And the quarterback's got to be smart, but everybody should have a smart quarterback. I mean, that just comes with that position. So, um, you know, I mean, hopefully I answered your question on that. But I've always tweaked to my to my players. And another thing I would suggest, if you can handle this with your own ego and your own belief system, which is tough, everywhere I went, I went to Covington, and I called their belly play. I had a belly play the same as what Dave Miller called. And he called it numbers, right? By whole numbers. I didn't call it that way at Twin Valley South. So I made it easier on the kids. I adapted to Dave on some things. When I went to Butler, a few of those things I did the same too. Um, just so I didn't have to reteach it all. But can it fit in, you know, if you're doing all food group names or NASCAR or or MLB teams, however you're calling plays, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. But if you can make it an easier transition for your kids, I mean, I would suggest doing it if it can fit. A lot of times it can't fit. I always tried to make it fit if I could to have quicker transition of less teaching to my players. Um, but learning something new, I get tired of people being frustrated about that. I've heard the smash concept called 75 different things, you know, since I've coached. Green, blue, Indiana, you know, Oklahoma. I heard – I mean, everybody calls something different, Right. Uh, cheers. I don't know. I, I've been on so many staffs that call it something different. Uh, so you you just associate it with what you first learned it and you'll be fine just with the reps, just like the kids. But I think if you can adapt to the kids, um, see that opportunity, I would say you could be pretty advantageous in that. Okay. Perfect coach. I said, everybody's got a different approach on how to, how to handle it. And um, the last question I had for you, and I know you really want to talk about it. And I, to be honest, I like when I do these more non- pure scheme podcast to ask kind of advice. I mean, what advice do you have for new coaches, new young head coaches, um, just new head coaches in general? Like obviously you've spent a good majority of your career as a head coach um, with pretty successful tenures. Um, kind of what advice do you have for any coaches listening? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I forgot to say that if anybody's listening to this, one thing on defense you can do is just show too high and end up one high. And it messes up high school quarterbacks, right? You can start, are you in cover four? You know, obviously look at the corners line. Is it cover two? Because it cover four. And then you can be in cover one or cover three. And we've done basic stuff like that. And it's just messed up so many quarterbacks. But the illusion, right? It looks like it's something different. And high school kids don't handle that real well. So, sorry, I meant to say that too when you said something defensively too. I'm just trying to give basic stuff to guys that, I mean, it's not rocket science. I think we all understand that. And if you listen to Nick Saban, I listened to a thing recently. Have your guys prepared for a, a drill before they go to the drill. How much time is wasted you setting up a drill, right? And 
that's the, the conversation he has with his staff. So I think we all think there's a secret to all the success. There's not. I mean, all over the years I've learned there's no secret. It, it takes what it takes. It takes a lot of work and it takes everybody being on the same page, rowing the you know, same direction, um, you know, hard work. But yeah, advice I have, um, there's some, um, I wish somebody would have talked to me about it more, but heck I was 24. I mean, would I have listened? I don't know. I would hope I would, but I didn't get a lot of this advice, but something I made a huge mistake, less rules. Do not back yourself in a corner. You should have seen my first rule sheet. I'm embarrassed about it. I think I had like 25 rules. I forgot them. You know, I couldn't even remember. Them. So when a kid would break them, how am I going to remember all the time? And my coaches, more importantly, because they have to, you can have a plan, but they got to execute. And I've learned that the hard way. So don't back yourself in a corner. Example, if they miss Labor Day for practice, huge debate everywhere I've been. Some guys kick them off the team, yeah. right? If you say you miss practice, you're off the team. First of all, you better talk to the administration ahead of time. I'll tell you another mistake I made with that. But So I had too many rules, okay? Less is more. So have a few basic rules. I, I got it down to like two or three rules. And I just said, I every case rises and falls on its own merit. Now it's my final decision. You know, I make the final decision. Every case is different. So we can't. You know, say every situation is different because I had a kid twin by South. I ripped his face off and his mom OD'd that day. I was like, why are you late to start ripping him? And his mom OD'd. That's like, figure it out first. Figure out what happened first, right? So um, I'll tell you my first day as a head coach at Twin Bow, biggest mistake. I wanted warm-ups to be perfect. We didn't even rep a play that day. I made him redo warm-ups three times. Eight kids walked out on me. I said, you're not allowed to come back. Administration said, we give a 24-hour rule here. Those kids showed back up the next day. Guess who had to let them back on the team? And they're smiling at me, winking at me. Horrible situation. My first year as a head coach went horribly. I was ready to resign. The AD and the kids talked me into staying. It was it was a tough, you know, because you don't know what you don't know, and you go into it and you think you have this plan. Um, and so my next biggest advice is be you. I tried to be someone I wasn't. I was miserable. I thought 24, they're not going to respect me. I just got to scream and I got to be this mean cuss. And that's not who I am. And kids see through that. If you are going to try to be fake, it's a matter of time. They're going to see through. So um, I ran off a lot of kids. I know I'm proud of the numbers, except for my first year at Twin Valley South. That guy before me had better numbers. And then I started to build it back up. I ran off a lot of great kids because I thought I had to be some prick, right? And that's not who I am. Not to say some guys can coach that way. Um it's not me. So I'm, I'm a positive, not to say I don't hold kids accountable and get on kids, but I was, you know, hard to deal with. So I think you got to be who you are, have less rules, figure out what your non-negotiables are. And you have to stick to those and make sure your staff, mine's attitude and effort, right? If they're late, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. If they're late and don't have a good excuse, they're running. I've had administration say, you can't do that till August 1st. No. And that, that's something I would be willing to be fired for. And I don't know. Everybody's not, they need to learn a lesson. If they're late to work, they're going to get fired from their job. Like, if it's not a legit reason, like, there's certain things that you hold them to a certain standard. Ours is effort. We make them redo stuff, being coachable, eye contact. Like, you have your things that is important to you, and you stick to that. But it can't be a 100 of them, right, because it's hard to keep track of. Um, but I'll tell you, that probably the hardest thing for me as a head coach 
two things. One, delegating, because at the end of the day, it's your butt if it doesn't get done. So trusting people enough to delegate when it's your baby. And I think when you don't delegate, you miss out on opportunities that you can have some great guys empower them. Um, so I think that's something you got to learn to delegate, find guys you trust, and putting a staff together. My goodness, that is the hardest thing. Putting a staff together that believes in what you're doing. So you can find anybody show up on Friday night. You can find guys to be part-time. But to find guys that are grinders, what I mean by that is showing up every day and putting in extra time on the weekends, game planning and things like that, that truly care about kids and believe in your vision. So it's about fit. And sometimes you don't know until after the first year. Usually the first year after the list, guys, we get, some guys go separate ways because we just don't see eye to eye on things. But you got to find that fit. I would suggest you don't even ask guys X's and O's questions when you interview them. You don't, I mean, hardly at all. I think we all think scheme matters. It's overrated. Don't get me wrong. You need to be sound. You got to know what you're doing. But it comes down to can you work together? And are you, are, I mean, do, do you fit with the staff? And are you great for kids? And for me, are you a great teacher? If you're a great teacher, you can teach anything. So finding that, um, and then, you know, I could have done, I'll tell you, I could have done a much better job of Vandalia setting clear expectations from the beginning. I thought I had to come in and be a CEO and just kind of sit back. And I was so bad at delegating at Covington. I said, you know what, Ty, time to learn. You're at a bigger school. These guys should know more. But I didn't set the groundwork of what I expected. Your first year needs to be all about setting expectations and everything how we lift in the weight room, how we, you know, anything we do. What do you expect in, What do you expect of your players in the classroom? What do you expect? I mean, we tried to have a GPA goal 3.0. We gave our academic top 10 guys awards. So, like, you got to have what, how to act at practice. What does it truly mean to give best effort? You got to show them. And because they don't know unless you teach them. So, I think setting clear expectations with your staff is ginormous. And because they'll they'll take advantage of you either maliciously or not maliciously. They just don't know. And sometimes they know you're nice and they'll just take advantage of you. Because uh, it matters more to the head coach than it does anybody else. And that's hard to understand. And so my one of my biggest advices is do what you want to do at the end of the day because you're going to be blamed anyways. Do what you want to do anyways. Because when you leave, they're not going to care whose idea it was. They're going to say it was you. And so um, be able to look in the mirror and say, I did things my way. And I, I'll be honest with you, I can't always say that. I gave into some things, trying to get buy-in from some players and coaches, and it wasn't what I wanted to do, and it backfired. And not to say some things didn't work out great because they did, but just be comfortable in the decisions you make because you will be held accountable to it. They will not. And I think that sometimes we don't understand that as head coaches. Um, and then, like I said earlier, um, you can can't do all your ideas all at once. It's overwhelming. It's like me and principal. I have so many ideas and they're doing so many things. First year, I call it the listening tour. Just come in and see how they do things and they put your biggest stamp on things, lift the hood like Urban Meyer says, see what the issues are, and then start to make your changes and start to help the program and then and things that you really want to implement little by little, brick by brick, um, things like that. And, um, you know, and try to get everybody all in on what you're doing. I always tell the kids, be there. You know, when you're there, be there, right? Or some guys see, be where your feet are. When you're there, be there. And um, so I wanted to say on that, and then um, I think 
the more, like I said, keeping things simple schematically is huge for you because that's when kids play fast. I always tell our kids when you think you stink. So you're playing out there slow. Um, so I would tell you, instead of having a bunch of schemes, focus on execution and practice, which is very hard. Because sometimes we want to go, 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 especially if you're a tempo team. You got to learn to coach on the fly, but I, I don't think you can do that right away. You got to make sure guys are coaching it up right. Once you get that foundation and guys are doing things the right way and you learn how to coach your players fast with few words, meaning what you need them to do, you know, y'all stepped on the wrong foot, hey, uh, you know, whatever it is, one word, you know, I was coaching with Mo Harden in an all-star game, all things like he'd say like scale, one word, scrape to alley fill, who you're blocking for a running back on Jess Week. Um, one word, you just yell out scale. He knows that means scrape for linebacker to alley fill, alley fill for safety, you know, scale. Give words like that that can coach kids fast. And I think that's the art in coaching is, is, is that type of stuff because in a game you're going to have to coach them fast. But I would tell you less is more because then you can fix the problems. If you're running too much stuff, you're never going to fix your problems because you don't even know your stuff. And that took me a long time to learn that. Um, and then um, the other thing that I had to – it was a hard one, and this is something for anybody that gets new coordinators. I overcoach my coordinators at first. Make sure their stuff is sound and do not – over, you know, do not micromanage them because then you end up handcuffing them and then they lose the passion. They really do. Um, they, they don't feel like they can do it. They're going to coach it so much better and own it so much more when it's theirs. So I was fortunate enough to have a great defensive coordinator at Vandalia. He's still there. John Cox is one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around. And I was dumb my first year and I was trying to like control some of the things he was doing. I was like, Ty, you have so much other stuff you could focus on. Let that man go do his thing. He does a great job. We got plenty of other issues at Butler I could be focusing on. So I think, you know, when you got good guys, you got to make sure you you let them do their thing and then you got to take care of them. So, uh, you know, I, I could talk on this all night. I know all I know I don't have a lot of money and I got a bunch of little kids and I'm not independently wealthy, wealthy but I think you got to take care of your assistants, whatever it may be. Take their wives out, them out. Uh, you know, I give them Sundays off, you know, try to find ways, even if it's not monetarily, but, you know, giving them gear or whatever it is, you have to find a way to take care of those guys. Cause they're doing it for the pennies on the dollar. You know, we get no money doing this thing uh, called coaching. So um, I think you got to find ways to take care of your great assistants. Cause if they're pretty good, they're probably going to leave you and don't be afraid to hire guys that want to be head coaches. Cause I was afraid to do that. Cause guess what? They're going to do everything they can because they want to know what it's like to be head coach. So hire those guys and give them everything you can give them. Have them as long as you can have them and learn from them and use them as long as you can have them. Um, whereas first I would try to like, oh, that guy's going to leave me in a year or two. Well, that's a year or two. You could have got a lot of good stuff. So I changed my philosophy on that over the years too. Um, I think those are the main things. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's really hard if you're not working together. And you got to have your staff work together. I always say this. You always have, you know, we already have 10 opponents. We don't need another one in this room, right? And so I think you make it clear to them, find somebody they can vent to. You don't always, always have to agree with me. But when you're in public, you're not bashing our program, bashing me. You better have a wife you can trust or a best friend. You need to tell me I'm an idiot to them or tell me in the war room. We call our coaching office a war room. But when we leave here, we're unified. And I think that crumbles more 
staffs than anything else. And I've been on good staffs and I've been on toxic staffs. And I was so proud of the staff I was on at Covington. The one year we went five and five when we started a bunch of young cats, they all had my back. And I will always remember that. You know, we come off 11 and one or 12 and one, whatever we were, and we go five and five. And I was on the hot seat, I felt like. And they didn't blink an eye like, coach, you're doing the right things. We got your back. There's there's not enough to say about that. And um, head coach is a lonely place. And so I would say call other head coaches because you're not alone. And there are other guys dealing with this. And you're going to feel um, you don't know what to do. A lot of guys have been through those situations and call them and, and get their ideas before you make a, you know, a, a decision out of emotion. Be patient. It's okay to sleep on some big decisions and talk to some guys that have been there because you don't want to do something that you regret. And all of us can be emotional or passionate, uh, but it's okay to sit on some stuff, talk to some people you really trust. And I know I reach out to all kinds of head coaches when I was making tough decisions. And, um, you know, that network network is huge in the coaching world and make sure you go to clinics and, and honestly, yeah, that's great stuff you hear, but some stuff you can't use, especially in small schools. It's almost better sometimes just to meet those other coaches there and, and, and pick their brain on things. And I think I've got more out of that than sometimes the content up there. Nothing against it. It's just I can't really use it, um, you know, for what we're doing. Perfect, Coach. So, Coaches, um, his Twitter will be in the bio. So, if you want to reach out to him, give Coach a follow. Um, and he will be more than happy to follow you back, get a hold of you. Um, you can probably also look up his email at um, his current school. Uh, which will be also all that stuff will be listed. Um, but again, nice thing about uh, nice and unfortunate thing about being a teacher is all your emails are public record. Uh, yeah. So that's why we as head coaches get all these spam emails from everybody. Um, I've had got like three on kicking competitions today. It's been lovely. Um, like the uh, like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. Um, check out our sponsor, Coach Pad. Um, I think that's it. So, and then that's another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.